KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, and uh, we're back. We're starting today a new series, which uh, this is Ezra Bick speaking, and I will be giving the series for Chodesh Elul, a series on the Yudgimu Midot HaRachmim, the 13 attributes of mercy, the basis, the heart of what we call Slichot. Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, Bechanun, Erech, Apayim, Rav Chesed, Emet, Nusach Chesed, Lalafim, Nusach Avon, Vafesha, Vachata, Venakei. Chodesh Elul is Chodesh HaRachamim VeHaSelichot. In a few weeks, we will start saying Slichot. Svaradim begins saying Slichot in the beginning of this month. Ashkenazim begin the week before Rosh Hashanah. And the Sarech Mechuvah and Yom Kippur itself. We have Slichot. This series we're going to try to understand what Slichot consists of and specifically what are the Midot HaRachamim. Chazal say there are 13 Midot HaRachamim in that Pasuk. What are they and what is the meaning? I'm going to uh, try and finish our understanding of the Yudhu Midot before Yom Kippur. There are about 10 Shiurim that I want to give. And therefore, this series will be, unlike every other series given in KMTT, this will be twice a week. In five weeks, we will finish 10 Shiurim. And so every Monday and uh, Wednesday, i trying to remember the schedule. But twice a week, there will be a uh, Shiur on Yugivomidot. Monday and Thursday. And it all comes back when you think about it. So today we're going to begin. Yud Gimel Midot. Today will be an introduction. We won't start the actual Midot themselves, but an introduction to the idea that underlies the very saying of Slichot. Minhag Yisrael is to say Slichot. It's found in the Sidorim of the Gonim. It's not mentioned explicitly anywhere in the Gemara. But there is a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah that is undoubtedly the, the source. The Gemara there is describing, discussing in general all sorts of issues concerning uh, Yom Hadin, the original part of the Sugya in Rosh Hashanah, Daf Tzayin Mutbet, Yudzayin Beralef, is talking about, at least according to Rashi, Yom Hadin Hasofi, the ultimate Yom Hadin, the day when God will judge all flesh. But the Sugya continues for Yom Adin of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as well. And there the command of Yudzayim Mudbet says the following. Hashem al right? In Pashat Kitisa, Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to achieve forgiveness or at least continued existence for the Jewish people after the sin of the golden calf. And then he asks God to disclose himself. Show me your ways. And God responds by Vayavor Hashem al Yikra. And then it follows Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum Bechanun Erech Apayim Avchesed Vemet. Vayavor Hashem al Panava Yikra. Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Il Malei Mikra Katuv Ii Avshal Omro. This sentence is going to be a focus of what I want to speak about. Rabbi Yochanan said. Were it not for the explicit pasuk, it would be impossible to express this. 
And God passed in front of his face and called, says something which we could not have imagined were not an explicit pasuk. We learn that God dressed himself, wrapped himself like a chazan. In other words, he put on a talit. And showed Moshe the order of the prayer. Amar lo, kozman she Yisrael chotein, yasu lefanai keseidah hazeb ani mochel lahem. He said to him, God said to Moshe, whenever the Jews shall sin, they should do in front of me, before me, this order, and I will forgive them. Amazing, amazing statement of Chazal. What does it mean? What what was so extraordinary about the passage in the Torah where God said to Moshe that his ways are Rachum, Chanun, Erechapayim, Rav Chesed, Ve'emet, his ways of mercy. What, what, what was so extraordinary that you can't say it if it wasn't an explicit verse in the Torah? Secondly, what is the Gemara saying? You read the Pasha, Moshe asked the question, God gave him an answer. Moshe said to God, what are your ways? And God said, my ways are mercy and forgiveness and, and, and patience. Rabbi Yochanan says, God said to Moshe, whenever the Jews sin, let them say these words, Yasu, if I can say that as let them say this order of prayer, and I forgive them. Why? How does it work? So the, the answer of Yochanan says that from this Pasuk we learned that God didn't just tell Moshe the Yud Gimomidot, but he, he, he prayed them. He, he acted it out. God was the Shlech Tzibu. He put on a talit, stood in front of the congregation and said Yud Gimomidot as though he were the Jews praying and then said, when you have a problem, do the same thing I'm doing. What, what, what's, what's the idea here? Why does God have to, instead of just telling Moshe, why does he have to act it out? He has to, 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 um, you know, show him the Yud Gimomidot, rather than just disclosing it. And in fact, I think the second question, I really only think there's only one question, the second question maybe will help us focus on the first question. Something about the Yud Gimel Midot is so amazing, you can't imagine on your own, and in fact, Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't even, even understand it until God acted it out for him. And in this acting out is apparently the answer to our question. If it were not an explicit verse, we couldn't even say it. What's the thing that's so amazing here? That God dressed like a shliach tzibur, dressed like a chazan, and showed Moshe the Yudgimomidot. In other words, the amazing thing is that Yudgimomidot are the means of achieving forgiveness. 
And therefore our question really is, how does it work? Why does one achieve forgiveness by saying you give me don't more than or in a different manner than asking God for forgiveness? Two lines later in the Gemara, the same Gemara that you in Mudbet in Rosh Hashanah, we find the following: Amar Rav Yehuda, Brit Kruta liyudgimu midot sheinam chozrot orikam. Shenemar hinei anochi korit brit. In the verse in Kitisa, after God discloses to Moshe Rabbeinu the thirteen attributes of mercy and says, Hashem, Hashem, Ker Rachum Achanun Echa Pem Chesed Vemet. He continues, Hinei Anochi Koreit Barit Neged Kol Ha'amachai Asendi Flaot. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm making a new covenant with you. Amar Rav Yehuda, the Yudgimu Midot themselves are the covenant. And what is the covenant? Barit Kutal Yudgimu Midot Sheinan Chazrot Rekam. There is a covenant drawn over the 13 attributes of mercy that they will not be returned unanswered. There's a guarantee that saying the Yudgimu Midot always achieves a positive response. Prayer does not have that guarantee. There are prayers which God does not respond to positively. You ask, He considers. But the Yudgimu Midot, which are called by Rabbi Yochanan in the first statement that I quoted. They're called Seder Tefillah. They're a prayer. The Yudgimu Midot, that prayer, has guaranteed effectivity. That may be amazing. I promise you a covenant where I will do amazing things for your people. Yes, it's amazing. But it's guaranteed. Okay, this Gemara is, in fact, the source for the what we call Slichot. God said to Mashiach Rabbeinu, whenever the Jews sin, let them do this Seder Tefillah, and I will forgive them. That is why we say, Yud Gimel Midot. Our question is, how does it work? The amazing thing about Yud Gimel Midot is not the, the, the Pasuk itself. It's simple. It's just a list of, of, of attributes of God's names, God's descriptions. Rachum, Merciful, Chanun, Erechapayim, Rav Chesed. But once the Gemara says that they have this virtue, this quality of guaranteed forgiveness, then we have a real problem. How does it work? And combine the two points. It's so simple. So how does it work? If it was something very complicated, something very deep, some 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 secret right that God disclosed on Shavuot, okay, maybe I would understand it, but I understand how it works. But there's nothing to it. It's just it's just a bunch of names of God. What's the connection between this recitation and forgiveness for the Jewish people? So this is what I'd like to explain. And I think the answer to our question is found in a basic idea in Yiddishkeit, a basic idea of Judaism concerning the relationship between ourselves and God. 
relationship between our actions, our existence, and God's presence in the world. There's a principle of Judaism, a crucial principle of Judaism, which I think is, is unique in Judaism. That the revelation of God in the world, God's presence in the world, is dependent, literally dependent, it, it rests on human beings and their actions. God appears in the world. The Shekhinah, the presence of God in the world, is as human beings call upon Him. There's a, a saying attributed to the Katskarebi. God is found wherever people make room for Him. Specifically in tefillah, in prayer, God is found in and on the calling of His name by people. Let me explain how that works. I'll give an example, an example that I think is clear, and then we'll use it to expand it to other cases. One of the attributes of God of God's presence in the world is the attribute we call Malchus, kingship. We constantly refer to God as being king. And there's an expression found already in the Middle Ages, in the great commentaries of the Middle Ages, Ein Melech below Am. You cannot have a king without a people. the attribute of kingship of the king is dependent on there being some people who recognize that kingship, who, who, who accept him as being king. Which means that, for instance, when at the coronation of a king, we have to imagine this because we're a little bit distant from the concept of kingship, which is our problem. But let's say at the coronation of the king, so it's described in, in Sefer Shmuel when they coronated Shaul HaMelech. So the people are there and they all yell, Yechia Melech, long live the king. That long live the king that the people are saying isn't just a bracha. It's not just that they're wishing him well. It's also not merely a recognition of the facts. You are the king. That's the combination. If I, if I look at the wall and I say, you're a wall, I'm not making the wall a wall. But when I look at the king and I say to the king, long live the king, I'm making him the king. I'm coronating him. I create the kingship. My recognition of his kingship isn't merely recognition of a fact. The recognition is the fact. It creates the fact. It's the, it's the constituent element of the fact. My declaration of loyalty to the king is itself a factor. It's, 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 the, it's the essential factor in his being king. It's not a descriptive statement, but it's a constitutive statement.
And the same thing applies by by definition. Ein melech below am. So if God is king, then we are constitutive of his kingship. We say, Hashem melech, Hashem malach, Hashem yimloch le'olam va'ed. We're not describing a state of fact, but we are covenating. We are making God king by recognizing his kingship. Of course, this thing, and it's, it's coming up pretty soon, this is essential understanding the day of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the day of God's kingship. It's the holiday of God's kingship. It's the holiday by we, on which we establish God's kingship. The Rav used to quote, I believe, he said it was a, 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 a expression in Chabad, but he quoted it with much admiration. The night of Rosh Hashanah is Karanatsyanacht. The night of the coronation of God. And who puts the crown on God's head? We say it in the prayers in Rosh Hashanah, V'yittenu lecha keter melucha. We don't just say you're the king, we place the crown on God's head. How is it possible? How is it possible that blood and flesh, that man, this nothing, this dust and ashes, he has the power to crown the king of the king of kings? Melech Machem Lachem, the answer is of course. Because he's merely the subject of the king, he can crown the king. Because if the people, if the citizens do not recognize the kingship of the king, then the king is not king, no matter what he thinks. The nature, it's, it's, an, it's, it's, it's an unusual quality. But the nature of kingship, which, rec, which, which is based on superiority of the king over his subjects, but this superiority derives its superiority from the subjects. The acceptance of the inferior when the inferior accepts the superior, that's what creates kingship. Just to give an example, something we learned many, many years ago when we were children, and that's perhaps the problem because things you learn as children you don't always take seriously or even pay attention to later on. Adon olam asher malach v'terem kol yitzir nivra le'et na'asa b'chef kol Azai Melech Shmonikra. King of the world who reigned before any creative thing any created thing was created. God is king. God is king because he's king. Like all attributes of God, it's inherent. It's absolute. God was king before anything was created. First line of the song, but second line of the song says the exact opposite. When everything was done according to His will, when everything will be done according to His will, Azai, then, Melech Shmonikar, then His name will be called king. On the one hand, God is king, absolutely. On the other hand, Shmonikra, 
his name is called king, Azai Melech Shmonikra, his name will be king. The name is what other people call him, only when people call it. When everything will be done according to God's will, and even today, not everything is done according to God's will. The world exists, but not everybody obeys God. But when everything will be according to God's will, then truly he will be called king. Someday, when God's kingship is complete, then and only then, and also Shmoechad, and his name will also be. If it were possible that nobody would recognize God's kingship, the world wouldn't recognize God's kingship at all, then Kaviyachol, there wouldn't be any kingship in the world. He'd be king in his own world. But there would be no kingship in the world. The principle, the basis of what we call Yudgimu Midot HaRachamim is this, that all the Midot, all of God's attributes, everything in God's relationship is exactly like what we just described as kingship. Just as there's no kingship without recognition, there is no presence in the world whatsoever without recognition. Why? Because that's God's deal. That's God's brit. Brit kruta When God created the world, before he created the world, he was everything. He was king. He was Rachum Chanun. God is absolute. God doesn't need the world. The world doesn't add a thing to God. But nonetheless, he created the world. And I don't know the reasons. This is too complicated for us. This is something which the Ramam created couldn't understand. Why God created the world. But having created the world is because God wished specifically what we just described. That his attributes should be present in the world and on the basis of the world. What does the world add to God? It adds the fact that God is now not just merely king absolutely, but he's king of the world. And therefore God's deal in creation is that his presence will be dependent on recognition. Before the world was created, God was independent, non-dependent. Having created the world, God's presence in the world is dependent on the world. The very nature of creation was God's desire to have malchus, to have all of His presence in the world be that of malchut, be that of recognition by a people or people who accept Him. And therefore, it doesn't mean that God made a deal. Okay, you say this and I'll, I'll forgive you. What kind of a deal is that? It's inherent. The Brit is the Brit of creation. The very nature of Yudgimu Midot is that if you call upon, if you call upon God's name, then God appears according to that name. And therefore, if we say midot harachamim, we say Hashem Hashem kel rachum v'chanun erechapayim v'rav chesed v'emet notzach chesed lalafim 
That's the, the expression in Chazal is that's the chariot of the Shechina, that's the basis of the Shechina that we are producing. We agree to call on God's name, but which names of God do we call upon? Then God appears, God exists before us, His presence in the world is that of now, you could call God as being Rachum, and He could appear as Din. You call upon the merciful God, and He appears as the judgmental God. No, can't happen. Because God does not appear in the world except as people call Him. Now, you might say, I have a better idea. Let's not call upon God at all. And then we won't be punished, because God won't be in the world. God's not in the world at all, then the world doesn't exist. That, that, the Gemara doesn't have to say. There is a danger involved here. The, a little boy who has sinned hides. Because he would prefer that his father not find him at all. At that second, he thinks he prefers that. But of course, we know that if his father doesn't find him, then he'll be lost. If there's no God in the world, then the world can't even exist. The world only exists because God is connected to the world. It was created so that God should be in the world. So therefore, you have to be the basis for God's presence in the world. And since you've sinned, that's very dangerous. But, you can call upon God. You can agree to be the Mechavah Shechina. You wish to be the Mechavah Shechina. You want to be the basis of God. You will be the foundation stone on which God's feet stand because you will call upon His name. His name will be in your mouth. So you call upon the names of Rachamim. You say, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rahum, Vechanun, Erech, Apayim, Rav Chesed, And then, that's God's deal with the world. He doesn't impose Himself on the world and therefore He doesn't impose Din on a world that asks for Rachamim. But He is Rachamim on a world that agrees to be the basis for Rachamim. So the Yudgimu Midot Aynan Chozrot Rekam they can't possibly return unanswered because if they returned unanswered if God does not appear according to the principle that you've called Him the principle of mercy then how does He appear? Because without being called God does not appear in the world at all. This is what I think Rabbi Yochanan said, Not an explicit verse, we couldn't possibly say it. Of course we couldn't possibly say it. It's, it's an amazing idea. What? I, little old me, I create, I'm the basis, I control the appearance of Melech Malchei Lachim in the world? Is that possible? And the answer is, yes, it's possible. Not only because God said it, but because God showed us. Only God can say it. Only God can do it. God is, after all, free and powerful. So if, in fact, it is true that I am the basis for God's appearance in the world, that's the power of God, and therefore I can say it all I want, but if God doesn't show me it happening, then the the idea is ridiculous. And so God hit atev keshliach tzibur, God called upon His own name and showed that yes, He appears where He appears. And said, if you do the same thing, the same thing will take place. 
In other words, I've explained the idea that Ein Melech below Am, that we call upon God and God appears accordingly, but it's understood that the power involved is the power of God. It's not magic. I don't control God. But my calling upon God is the Malchut. But, but where does the power of Malchut come from? Where does the power of kingship, where does the power of mercy come from? It's the power of God. So in fact, who has to stand in front of the Kahal and call? The Shidduch Tzibu is God. And God is the Shliach, the Shliach Tzibu. In a regular prayer, Shemoneshrei, so we stand over here, opposite God. It's a, it's a dialogue. You speak to God and God listens. But in Gil Midot, we're not standing opposite God. We speak and God is present in our speech. In other words, we're on the same side. Because we are praying, it's called prayer, because we are praying, then God is with us, not opposite us. We're the Merkava, the Shechina, we're the presence of God. And that's what it means that ultimately when you go to a minion, you see people saying slichot, so you should see God not as being on the other side, you know, hiding behind Yom Kodesh, but He's by the Ahmed. He's the first, He's standing in the midst of the people. Because the, 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 the essential calling of God's name, Shem Hashem Kerachum Hanun, that is the presence of God. In the Torah, the parasha we're reading is Parashat Kitisa. It's after Chet HaMaraglim, the sin of the golden calf. And God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, according to what the Gemara says, when you sin, do this. Moshe Rabbeinu fulfills that in the Torah itself. Years later, at Chet HaMaraglim, a year later, when the Jews sin and, and don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu, and, and God says, I'm going to destroy them all. And Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, he says, you're going to be dealt. He says, V'achum v'chanun, erech apayim v'av chesed, v'asach chesed l'adafim, v'salach t'labonein l'chatotainu, and God forgives. There's an introduction to the Yom When God, Moshe speaks to God in Pashat Shlach, after the sin of the spies, he says, before he begins the recitation of the Midot, he says, And now let the power of God be increased, as you have said, quote, what does it mean you let the power of God be increased as you have spoken? Where did God say that His power will be increased? But that's the idea that I'm explaining. The recitation of Yudgimu Midot and it's Ilmale Mikakatev. I'm just saying to you what the Pasuk says. The recitation of Yudgimu Midot is the increase in the power of God. What do those words mean? It's what we just explained. The power of God is dependent on our calling upon Him. When you say, Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, Hanun, you increase, literally increase, the power of mercy. When we say, eh, Kaddish, we say, Yitgadel v'yitkadesh we increase, Yitgadel, we increase God's presence in the world by saying, Kaddish, by saying, Heishmer, Abba, Mavach, Lom, Maya. We increase God's mercy in the world 
God's power to forgive by saying, Hashem Hashem Kerochum Echon Echapam Chesedemet. Vata Yigdalna Korach Hashem Kasher Dibarta Lemo. People increase the presence of God. This is for the philosophy of the Middle Ages. This is too philosophy of the Middle Ages. This is, this is philosophic heresy. That God can increase or decrease. I'm not talking philosophy now. It's not my, it's not my problem now to explain how this can be philosophically possible. But this is what Yudhima Midot says. That God's power of forgiveness in this case, and God says, God's power to forgive is dependent directly on man. On man saying, you are the forgiving one. You are the Bala Chesed. You are the Rachum Rechanun. When we say you are the Rachum, then God is the Rachum in the world, in relationship to us. And that is why what appears to be magic works. Simply saying, simply filling our mouths with the recognition that God is the King who is Rachum Rechanun, Erech HaPayim HaFchesed Vemet, when you recognize and declare that fact, that Kiddush Hashem, that acceptance of God, that declaration of of, of loyalty, declaration of citizenship, declaration of God's majesty, creates a situation where God stands before you as what you have said. And that is how you achieve with, with a guarantee. You achieve at least a measure of some kind of slicha or mechila. Our job in the coming shiurim will be to understand the number 13, not the number itself, but if there are 13 midot and there are 13 different midot, what are those 13 midot and what is the difference? What is the specific application, the specific action, the specific kind of slicha or mechila, the specific kind of chesed that is associated with each one of those 13 midot? For this we'll have to know what the 13 midot actually are, which is a problem. We're going to use the, the most accepted shita, the one that's reflected also in the way we quote it in the siddur, well, there are other shitot, but we're going to first describe what those 13 are, the shitot v'alei atosvot, on that same daf, you design with bet in Rosh Hashanah, and then to explain what each midah means. What is Hashem, what is Keo, what is Chachum, what is Chanun, what is Erech And that is what we're going to do in the coming uh, weeks. The first two midot of the uh, system which we're going to be using, the first two midot are Hashem, Hashem, Havaya, Havaya, Yud Kevavke, Yud Kevavke. That's two midot, not one but two. That's what Tosfot Anafid Zayin explains. We're going to accept and try to understand two questions. One, why is Hashem a attribute of mercy? It's just, it's just God's name. It, it doesn't have a meaning offhand of merciful. Lachum, I understand, but what is Havaya, Yud Kevavke? Two, how could the two of them be two different midot? It's the same midot twice. And that will be the content of the next shiur uh, later on this week.